Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now, thanks for everybody listening to the podcast lately. I am going to be covering something different than I planned on covering this episode this time because it literally came out the day I'm recording this. I'm recording this a day a day earlier than I usually record because it's right around Christmas. And I got stuff to do, and I would like to not have to worry about recording and editing and all that fun jazz right as I'm doing Christmas stuff, because there's only so much time in each day, and I'm taking it where I can get it. But the thing I want to talk about, and I want to jump into it pretty quickly, because I have a feeling it's going to inspire a lot of feelings in lots of us. Listening and speaking. (laughs) And that thing is... The Matrix Resurrection. Thomas? You seem particularly triggered right now. Can you tell me what happened? I've had dreams that weren't just dreams. Am I crazy? We don't use that word in here. Hi. Have we met? One pill makes you larger And one pill makes you small and the ones that mother gives you Don't do anything at all Go ask Alice When she's ten feet tall Time to fly And leave Chasing rabbits If you want the truth, Neo You're going to have to fly me that matters to you is still here. I know it's why you're still fighting and why you will never give up. You don't know me. No? Back to where it all started. Back to the Matrix. (laughs) 
Now, for those of you, and I can't believe I have to say this, um, for those of you who not, might not be familiar with the Matrix or its importance to the to anime and why I'm talking about a live-action movie in place of an anime um, here, I want to spend some time first with the creators of the of the of the Matrix franchise, the Wachowskis. I want to spend some time with like their journey and their just kind their kind of existence as filmmakers in the world as a, alongside anime a little bit. And uh, and as themselves. So the Wachowskis started out as the Wachowski brothers. They're now the Wachowski sisters. And the Wachowski sisters have obviously transitioned. But they also, their big, the big movie they're known for is The Matrix. But there are, uh, they've obviously done other movies since then. And, but... The most notable is they made the live-action Speed Racer. If you've never seen a live-action Speed Racer, I believe I've talked about it before in the feed of this podcast. You can probably find that episode. But they have for a long time been fans of East Asian cinema, including anime, in a way that was not always the way, so to speak. The Matrix, as like the the original Matrix movie, just The Matrix, was a flashpoint for movies, for film. Even it changed the way people saw action cinema and saw American action movies. Bullet Time was created by The Matrix. And what we see as like a cheesy special effect now when it came out was revolutionary. And kind of case in point, you can still go back and see the... I mean, if you have a subscription to HBO Max, you can still right now go back and watch the original Matrix as well as Reloaded and um, the third one. I forget the third one. Um, Revolution, I think. Um, and at least the first one still looks pretty good. Like, the the special effects hold up because there was this mixing of physical and digital special effects that was pretty wild for the time. And one of the best kind of parts of The Matrix is the making of The Matrix and, like, seeing... How the sausage is made there. But the other thing that is true is... If you look at the Matrix as as it originally was... It's very clear that it's cribbing from a bunch of things. But its primary kind of source piece... In like the jacking in and all that stuff... Is from the concept of Ghost in the Shell. And if you look at the original Matrix, you really get this sense that they wanted to make a take on Ghost in the Shell, and they knew that a studio wouldn't say yes to it. So what they ended up doing 
is they kind of like wrote their vision around it and around the concept presented in Ghost in the Shell. And in the subsequent two movies, and now the subsequent three movies, they expanded upon that vision. Only the... Actually, not even the subsequent three movies. That's the thing. It's like, there's so much out there in the world of the Matrix in a way that's... In a way that's not... It's not even that common now. So I want to talk about a concept in anime that's pretty um that that is kind of almost best typified by something like dot hack. So the idea about behind dot hack is that it's an intentional multimedia project. It's not meant to just exist in the games or the anime. It's meant to exist in both, and it's meant to exist alongside each other. Case in point, when you used to buy the original .hack games, and you can probably still find them on the internet, um, you used to get a game disc, but you would also get a disc of uh, an anime that was supposed to be the kind of like alongside the game, what was, ha- what was potentially happening outside the game, and that was a show called Dot Hack Liminality. I believe it's like a four episode OVA, and you get one, ep- you get either one or two. I think it was actually six because you got two episodes per disc. There were three games, a whole thing. But the idea was that you couldn't get the full story without, you couldn't get the full narrative without seeing the anime and playing the game. And in that same vein, what The Matrix did ultimately was through video games, through animated anthology, through an animated anthology, and through the movies, it endeavored to tell this full, big, sprawling story. And so, if you get to this movie and you're missing pieces... Those piece, some of those pieces you can't go see anymore. For example, the death of Morpheus in the movies. By the way, spoiler alert for um, The Matrix Resurrections. I should say that right here, especially since I'm talking about it. Literally, if you're listening to this in time, it's like the night after it came out, both on HBO Max and in theater. Just, so just know that. The character who replaces Morpheus, the kind of proto-Morpheus 2, if you will, um, is a program set up by the original Morpheus who dies in the Matrix Online, as a plot point in the Matrix Online. The Matrix Online was an online, was an MMORPG that ended up getting having its servers shut down, so it is no longer accessible to anyone. <laughs> People can't go play that game and they can't get those pieces of the story. If you followed the... If you tried to follow the thread on the ships in, from The Matrix Reloaded to The Matrix Revolution, meaning the second movie to the third movie, you would have had to have seen a vignette from... The original from the matrix from the Animatrix, which is the anime matrix 
um, anthology, think um, Star Wars Visions, but for the Matrix. <laughs> Seriously, if you haven't seen it, it's incredible. And that's the way they've ended up telling this story. And it's been this big, kind of messy, kind of com- overly complex and overly sought out thing. But if you look at the Wachowskis, they, like I said at the beginning of this, they were, they are fans, such fans of East Asian cinema and such fans of anime in a way that, at the time and probably still, many directors aren't, and more than that, many directors wouldn't take the swings they've taken in film to express that. Like, if you look at something like um, Jupiter Ascending, for example. Jupiter Ascending, as far as I'm aware, and I've said this before on the podcast, seemed to exist solely to depict the space DMV for titles to royal nobility. (laughs) Which is incredible. (laughs) Like, just this, like, weird fucking space bureaucracy building they've created for that movie is incredible. There's not a whole lot of sci-fi out there like this. It's only a handful of other movies, including things like um, The Fifth Element, that um, movie that starts with a whole bunch of intergalactic handshakes. Um, Not The Fifth Element, I'm talking about a different movie. I forget its name. But the Wachowskis have created movies that seem like that. I've never seen Cloud Atlas, mostly because lots of people do not like Cloud Atlas. For a lot of, like, obsession with Eastern Asian mysticism that's not great. Um, but the long and the short of it is, is that they have committed to pretty clearly and openly voicing their love of anime and their continued love of anime in a way that hasn't been in a way that seem that hasn't been true of lots of other med- people making media and content kind of at all <laughs> I mean, yes, James Cameron made Battle Angel, made Battle Angel, made Alita Battle Angel, and like, yes, there are other adaptations of things like um, the uh, Edge of Tomorrow movie, which is a um, adaptation of I believe All You Need Is Kill, but the Wachowskis have tried and like taken their love of the medium of anime and in some cases tried to make something that feels like a live action version of it like they did with Speed Racer and in other cases they've tried to make something that can exist alongside it like The Matrix and that's really why I'm talking about The Matrix in this episode and the other reason why I'm talking about The Matrix in this episode is because I watched, so the same day I'm recording this, the same day The Matrix came out, I watched um, Bennett the Sage's um, 
You can go watch him over on anime on the Anime Abandoned YouTube, YouTube channels. Um, two-part series on the live-action Cowboy Bebop. And I've said, um, actually, in the Clathcast episodes of um, me and Lauren's show, Uncanny Courage, which you can count on a um, special Christmas episode um, about of on... So I've talked about on the podcast this, like... Kind of malaise that surrounds my ideas around the the Netflix Bebop adaptation. But what Bennett went on to say was it it's a nostalgia play, basically. It's it's a play after your it's a play after what you remember to be, and that's really what the Matrix. Resurrections feels like on some level. It it feels like it's fighting to be a nostalgia play and it's fighting to be its own thing. It's fighting to be the next chapter in a story that didn't need a next chapter, that didn't feel like it was designed necessarily to have a next chapter, but, you know, corporations, hilariously, would have there be one and wanted there to be one. And one of the case and points of this is um, it's it's telling that only one of the Wachowski, one of the Wachowski sisters, Lana Wachowski, directed this. Because that says to just about everybody that, like, this was not their choice. And even more so that this is one of the first times, one of the only times, I think, if not the first and only time, that the Wachowski sisters have not directed what they're, not done what they're doing together. And what that says is that, that this is kind of a an oddly compromised vision because you're not getting both creators of the thing making the thing. You're getting one. And as a movie, this movie feels compromised for a number of reasons. Um, So I've already said spoilers, but once again, spoilers in this, um, in this case. They've Replaced Hugo Weaving as Agent Smith. They've replaced the actor, I forget the actor's name, um, who played the architect. Um, and they replaced the architect with Neil Patrick Harris's character. And everything feels like it demands answers immediately. They, they're, they're no longer in the city of Zion, they're in the city of Io. And they're trying to show you the ramifications of the third movie while also explaining how they got, but using it as a way to explain how they got there. And there's a lot of, like, lore dumping pretty quickly and pretty unceremoniously. And then it becomes pretty clear that this movie is not the like 
rebirth of Neo as the one, he's still the one, but there's a second half to that now, and that is in the form of Trinity. And this movie is kind of like a love story, kind of get the band back, kind of get the the couple comes back together kind of story between Neo and Trinity, or um, Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss. And it's not that that can't exist and that can't be interesting and can't be done well. And I think by the end of the movie, they find this balance that's pretty great. But it... It's that none of this feels like it needed to happen. And that the, like... The off-kilterness of the Matrix doesn't feel quite right here. And it doesn't help that, like, the new characters kind of steal the show and the, um, the new captain of the, um, ship, whose name I forget, or Neo, or, like, the Neo, or the, um, Morpheus 2 is pretty clearly this divergence on purpose, very on purpose, from the origin, from the rest of the cast, because the rest of the cast is very like Matrix, cyberpunk, cyberpunk, black, like sunglasses, not very gaudy, does not like intentionally call attention to themselves by creating kind of like a void of black clothing in in your vision, but in um the, like, Morpheus program's case, he is always dressed in, like, super bright, almost Oswald Boltang suit-style bright colors with really, like, ostentatious standout sunglasses. And it's not... He fits right in because you get the sense that that character is doing... is doing something different in a different way than any of the other characters in the show. You get a character who is patterned after the Merovingian from the first from the second and third show from the second and third movies. And the thing I would like and I know I won't get is for movies to be movies again. For movies to not to have to feel like it's a long-running TV show that you get a you get an episode of every couple of years. Because the other thing I've been doing um, lately is watching through the um, Netflix Marvel shows. You know the ones that all got unceremoniously canceled when Marvel was part of Di- Disney and Disney was like, oh hey. We want to do our own streaming network. So Disney Plus, screw everybody who we have deals with. And and those shows very clearly got caught up in that. I just finished watching Daredevil. I'm not sure if I will continue with Defenders. I'm one episode in, and I can already feel that thing like weighing on me in a unique way. I'm not going to bother with Iron Fist or Luke Cage, because they um both kind of got their knees cut out from under them by the Marvel dealings and 
Jessica Jones, I've never been super interested in, although it's supposed to be very, very good. Um, mostly because that character seems like if I take her in a vacuum, which, like, she's the focus, will drive me a little insane. <laughs> um, but those shows are good because they're shows. The, the Marvel movies are... There's, like, 12 of them now. There's a season of Marvel. There are seasons of Marvel movies at this point. And it... The Matrix, the original Matrix movie feels like a self-contained movie. And the reason why everybody went to go see Reloaded is because you couldn't, you kind of couldn't believe that they were making another movie. It was a big deal because that movie kind of ends at a pretty final point. And then they made another one. And then they made a third one. And the Matrix movies kind of definitely declined in quality as they were released, especially since they were released pretty close to each other. And apparently it was like the second and third movies were shot simultaneously and it was like a hellscape to shoot them. And like they didn't benefit... They didn't really benefit from the um, technological advancements that they, in many cases, caused. They, in many cases, were the impetus for. Because those movies started to feel more and more computer-generated. And I'm sure, to my eyes, this movie would feel... Would be I would be surprised at what was computer generated and what wasn't in these movies, but there was it felt less CGI heavy than a lot of movies of its kind now do, and that's to its benefit. That was one of the things that I thought was the most impressive is stuff felt like stuff had weight, stuff had like. Stuff felt like in a place, and the things they use, and the, the moments when it feels computer generated are f when they're it's supposed to feel computer generated, and you're supposed to feel a little bit of like computer code creeping in at the creeping in at the edit, or like you're in a place composed of computer code, and. <sighs> This is where we come to the nostalgia play of this movie. This movie is hopelessly self-aware. Once again, spoilers for the story of Matrix Resurrections. It when you meet Neo, when you meet Mister Mister Thomas Anderson, he is a video game designer, and the story of the Matrix. It explained away as a video game he designed that intentionally pushed the boundaries between what is real, what is fake, and it's this big award-winning, big-deal video game, and he's working on this new video game called Binary. Hilariously, it's... Uh, it, uh, the Matrix makes a lot more sense if you realize the people who create... The two people who created it are two... 
trans women. And so in their in in either of their mind, I'm sure an idea about what prison could be would be to be making something that was all about a binary choice of you of you get this or this. When in their heads and in the and in the kind of stated point of the matrix, it's not a simple choice between the two. It's a option between absolute freedom of what of what and how you want to be or living in like a cage. And the the like it's the way it kind of like puts on itself with all of the nostalgia play of it. It a it's so self aware about it that it's like painful at moments. Their end credit sequence is basically a self aware joke about cat videos and makes you want to like smack your head against the wall. But also the whole movie is about the 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 other three movies and the other properties and what happened before. This is a movie that is essentially a a consequence of the ending of the third movie of the third movie in the um in the in the four part series that it now is, and it is a kind of call to action and like awakening of Trinity as someone who had the same kind of superpowers in the Matrix as Neo does. And them is kind of like a power couple essentially in the Matrix. But the The thing with the original Matrix, and the thing that has not happened with the Matrix kind of like anime parallel, which is Ghost in the Shell as far as I'm concerned. I mean, other things too, to be sure, but in many cases, Ghost in the Shell, is that the Matrix is having a singular conversation. About, like, one narrow part of reality and fantasy, the digital world and the real world, and what all that stuff means. And it has a kind of staleness. If you go back and you watch the original Matrix, it feels fresh, it feels new, it feels interesting. If you go back and you if but with each movie you watch, it loses some of that it loses some of that weight to it. Whereas something like Ghost in the Shell, if you watch the original Ghost in the Shell movie, it's really about what is identity what is what is singular identity. And then you watch the show and it is really about what is collective identity, what is the ramifications for hooking up a... And I've done 
stuff about Ghost of the Shell in this podcast, you can go back and listen to it in the feed in whatever app you listen to this episode right now. But the Ghost of the Shell standalone complex is really about what is what look what a collective mind share looks like and what it's capable of and you know what what are what happens to people who you know encounter the internet and their affinity for it is too good is too much and they find too much solace in the internet that that's what that show ultimately ends up being about and what happens to a person when they leave their like when they leave themselves behind in favor of a collective but the and then standalone and then standalone comp and then um solid state society is about what happens when a system where system goes out of control and nobody stops it when you know the, they're all different they're all about kind of the same conversation from different angles and they keep and ghost in the shell keeps itself at the very least from feeling stale i mean even 2045 for as fucking as that show is um it it's poking at an interesting subject matter in 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 many ways Whereas the Matrix, it's it's this love story bound up in this story about an individual's right to choose the way they live, and that has also been complicated now with the idea of the red pill. And there's a very easy narrative here that says like they wanted to take back the red pill narrative because very clearly the red pill had been misconstrued by the alt by the american alt-right to mean something very different than what it meant when the red pill was conceived of by the matrix the idea of behind the red pill and the blue pill is the red pill is the way out of monotony it is the way out of it is the way out of like the trappings of society is the way out of the box. And the blue pill is to accept the box and accept the monotony and accept the day-to-day boredom and all that crap. What the alt-right got right is it's, it's a process of awakening the, red, the idea of the red pill. But what they got wrong is... If the awakening is not that the old guard is right, it is that you, the awakening is that you have a right to choose the way you want the world to be, hopefully. Maybe not on the scale of something like Neo or Trinity are capable of, but definitely on the scale of your own choices of how you want the world to perceive you and how the world does perceive you. And one of the most telling things in um, The Matrix that the actor who they got to replace Agent Smith 
still does is in the Matrix, Neo is essentially dead named the entire way through by Agent Smith. Agent Smith never calls him Neo. He always calls him Mr. Anderson. And that is Agent Smith's refusal to acknowledge Neo's choice to be called Neo and not Mr. Anderson. And they they straight up have by the end of the by the end of Resurrections, they straight up have that conversation with um Neil Patrick Harris's character just they have that com they have the deadening conversation. Trinity, I believe they call her like the name that come up for her within they come up with for her in the Matrix is like Trisha or something. Something like uh, like a Trisha, I think it is. And when she realizes that it's all put on, that it's all that like all the family that ha- that she as Trisha has is all a program put around her to keep her in the Matrix. She pretty quickly just like fucks this thing. F- fuck all of this. I hate that name. My name is Trinity. Fuck you. And by the end of the the like kind of last scene of the movie is her having a conversation with Neil Patrick Harris's character, who I, I don't think he's called the architect. He's called something else, but it's basically an architect equivalent. Um, it, he just says, like, you, you liked it just fine. You, I think the word she says, he's like, you were an obedient bitch, and she just smacked the shit out of him immediately. And her rejection of, like, him putting that on her or him putting that stuff on other people who don't want it is really what the movie and what the movie and what the franchise is about. It's about... It's not about the, like, cool cyberpunk trappings because cyberpunk is never about the cyberpunk trappings. It's about... The consequences that the cyberpunk trappings can illustrate more, more fully. Ghost in a Shell is as much about robot bodies as it is about people's autonomy over their bodies. What ha- Ghost in a Shell is as much about like the providence of the soul as it is the providence of Toshiba to make your brain case. Like it, any cyberpunk thing that has an emptiness to it really shouldn't be trusted because it's so difficult to make something empty in that in that space because that space was designed specifically to have the conversations about like choosing your own identity you know, recognizing your own power, all that stuff. And this this movie does, Matrix Resurrection does a really good job of that. 
but it it is also a it is also very clearly restarting the franchise and that's the thing it's like these properties are val these properties are valuable as nostalgia because of what they did what the matrix did and what and the and the conversation the matrix brought to everybody's attention was valuable and is still valuable to people because it was a conversation that wasn't being had very openly it, the matrix is a very important franchise to the transgender community because of the Wachowski sister journey and because of the very clear journey between, you know, Neo and Trinity throughout the three movies. And because of the depiction of, you know, society as like a hostile thing towards that journey. If you look at the big thing that they did get right with this movie, and they got a lot right with this movie. I don't want to make it sound like it's an utter failure. It's not. It's a pretty good Matrix movie. But the big thing that they got really right that you really notice is the kind of hostileness of the environment and the hostileness of the reality built by the Matrix once you try and leave it. Or once you have left it. Once you're outside, once you are a visitor to the Matrix and not a permanent resident, the Matrix does not like you very much. It does not want you there. It wants you out or dead or probably both. And they do a really good job of, in, of showing that. And they, it's the Matrix had to evolve beyond A, pay phones, and B, cell phones wouldn't be any fun. So what they ended up doing is they used the idea that mirrors are the way in and out of the matrix. Doors can be used to, like, teleport you to different points in the matrix. And it creates this kind of, like, it creates that it creates these great new rules that they can then function with, they can then play with, and they do play with them pretty well, um, for the most part. And then they, and then, but the thing I keep coming back to about this movie is, it, for every cool new thing it does, it then pulled back and was like, oh. There's a Matrix movie, we need to remind you it's a Matrix movie. And then they introduce the idea that Neil Patrick Harris's character has kind of weaponized bullet time. He's like recreated bullet time in a way that allows him to have absolute control over things. And in that moment, you're like, oh, they said the word bullet time in the movie from the franchise that made it a thing like that self that self 
recognition and that self-awareness, whenever it rears its head in the movie, like, takes you kind of out of it. It's like, oh, that's right, I'm watching a Matrix movie. Of course. Instead of, you're in the universe of the Matrix for two and a half hours, because that's, that's the runtime of this movie. And it just, I just found the whole thing inter- really interesting, and The Matrix has been kind of, has been an important outgrowth from the world of anime and an important contributor to anim- to the world of anime. So I thought it was important that I cover it for the podcast. So on that note, um, if you like this episode, new episodes of the show come out every Thursday and Sunday. Thursday is uh, more like this. It's about a film property something for, of anime. And Sunday are what I call the Sunday edition. And Sunday editions are all about the industry fandom, you know, odd thoughts I have about the industry or fandom or something. So um, definitely, uh, I hope you like the show. And until next Thursday, I've been Alex. This has been Lunchbox Radio. And I'll talk to you then.